Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. What we hear there in Matthew is Jesus saying, hey, you know, who's, who's doing the will of the Father? The one who tells him what he wants to hear and then doesn't do it? Or the one who doesn't necessarily tell him what he wants to hear at first, but then does it? Because we can get wrapped up in that a lot. But I felt like the lectionary over the next couple of weeks uh, kind of spend some time in Philippians. And it seems to be that the recurring theme that the church needs to hear, that we need to hear, if it's not in this moment in time, the message of peace, which we do, because everywhere else we look is unpeaceful in some way. It's rattling, it's discombobulating and it's just confusing. You don't know what to believe. And we were even talking about that before you guys came in. You don't know, you know, who's right, who's wrong. God, we need your wisdom, right? And James was good to bring that to us. That was a good word from James. But um, the, the other message that we desperately need, that we get from Christ himself, and Paul brings it out to this church as a message of unity. So, so, so hear these words again. But I want you to, well, let's read, read them all again. I'm, I'm going to read a different version in a second. But Paul wrote, if there is any humility, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... And make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And we're going to stop there for the time being. Now I want to read this other version. Last couple of weeks, I've kind of quoted a guy by the name of N.T. Wright, who's a really um, kind of highly regarded theologian that still lives and, and pastors a congregation in, in, over in the U.K. Um, and he writes lots of books and commentaries, especially in the New Testament. And in one of those, he kind of did a paraphrase version of his, uh, his own kind of translation uh, from the Greek of what kind of he took this to mean. And some of it's a little bit of a paraphrase in the same vein as the message. But here's how he wrote it. So if our shared life in the king brings you any comfort, if love still has the power to make you cheerful, if we really do have partnership in the spirit, if your hearts are at all moved with affection and sympathy, then make my joy complete. Bring your thinking into line with one another. And here's how to do it. Hold on to the same love. Bring your innermost lives into harmony. Fix your minds on the same object. Never act out of selfish ambition or vanity. Instead, regard everyone else as superior. Look after each other's best interests, not your own. So uh, a handful of years ago, Natalie and I traveled out west, met up with a buddy of mine and his wife, enjoyed uh, three or four days together, 
And while we were together, we um, took in a show. And so some of you may have seen one of these shows in person. Some of you may have seen them on TV, but it was a Cirque du Soleil show. Has anybody ever seen one of those in person? All right, pretty wild thing. So just to kind of, uh, the one that we saw, and I couldn't tell you the name of it, but uh, Cirque du Soleil is this acrobatic kind of thing, and, and there's all these people working in concert together. And the one that we were watching, it was actually, the, the stage was a weeble-wobble kind of platform. And they were, as they went to one side, the other side went up, and vice versa. And it was this whole thing, and it was on this kind of, it was really kind of unique to watch. And if everybody in that production was not doing what they needed to do at the right moment, what do you think happened? Mass collision, right? The, the, the teeter-totter falls. The people collapse. They hit the deck, right? There were, there were, there were some of the aerial uh, stunts that they would be three and four and five people high, and they would be flipping on top of each other. And if someone wasn't there at the right moment, they, were, they didn't have a landing spot. They didn't – it was – and it was kind of, and you can imagine, you're kind of on the edge of your seat, you're entertained, you're enjoying this, and you're also like, oh my goodness, are they going to fall? It's a little bit like when I was a kid uh, watching Evil Knievel jump over buses, right? But that was just one person, and everything was stationary. This was, it was the same kind of feeling, though. It was like, is it going to make it? Are they going to do it? When this person pops up in the air, are they going to land here? Is everybody going to fall? It was, just, it was this orchestrated event that if everybody wasn't right where they needed to be, it was, it was chaos. And it wasn't enjoyment, and it wasn't entertainment. It was, it would have just been a big free-for-all. And Paul is basically saying to the church, I want you to be like that. I want you, I don't want you, anybody putting themselves up front. Can you imagine what would happen if one person in that show said, hey, I'm better than everybody else. I want everybody to see me, and I want to take the spotlight. It would have been a tumble. It would have been done. And Paul's saying this to the church, the same thing, like, when you think that you're better than someone else, the whole thing collapses. It doesn't work. And so he's saying, would you, would you make my joy complete? Paul is saying, this is how the church should be. So in these first, we're, gonna, we're talking about all 13, but in these first five verses, really, sorry about that. I'm not sure where that came from, but we have people in charge. Um, in these first four verses, uh, it seems nearly impossible, right? I mean, even in a, in a in large churches, I've been in large churches and I've been in small churches, and I've never yet been in a church. I've been in large business meetings and small business meetings. I've never yet been in a business meeting. And I've been in large civic events, and I've been in small ones, and I've never yet been in one where any of those things, everybody had the same opinion. Everybody had the same thought. Everybody had the same driving force for why they were even there, right? People come to church for all different reasons, and sometimes it is not, they're not all the same. They should be, and that's what Paul's saying. Like, there is one singular thing that I want you to focus on. If the, and so it looks on the surface, as Paul's saying this, if you've gotten any of this stuff, and a little bit, those first couple of verses are pretty facetious, right? If you have anything that's happened that is good, right? Any encouragement in Christ, what does Paul know? He knows what God's encouragement in Christ. If you have any consolation of love, I like the way that, that uh, N.T. Wright put it. If your hearts, uh, if you, uh, if love still has the power to make you cheerful, we know the answer to that. We got consolation from love. Love still makes us cheerful. 
we have partnership with the Spirit. Like all these things Paul knows. So he's just, he's just reminding them, if you've gotten any of this, then here's what I want you to do. Make my joy complete. Make it complete. How in the world, Paul, can we even begin to do that? Thinking the same. Loving each other completely. Regarding each other person as more superior to you than yourself. Paul's writing this to a very small house church in Philippi. And they're not able to get this done. Now, later in the book, he names some people. These two ladies, and it may be them that has some issues with each other, and people are taking the side. It seems to be that the that the Jewish viewpoint has kind of filtered its way in to this, kind of like the church in Galatia, but not quite as bad where, you know, you need Jesus, but you also got to do these Jewish things. It, it may have been somebody. It may not. It doesn't matter. Paul's saying something has gotten into you guys that is not good, and so... Make my joy complete by fixing it, by being like-minded, by thinking of other people as more superior to yourself. Now, can you imagine a brand-new community, small, not be able to grasp that? Well, we can. Like, it's hard, right, to think of anybody else better than ourselves. If we're able to pull it off, it's hard to keep that constant. Even in our family units, it's, hard, it's tough. Right? Why do... Why do, uh, why do Moms and dads get in arguments. Why do husbands and wives get in arguments, right? Because they think their opinion is the correct one when the other person's isn't. And they're trying to help the other person very gently, hopefully, see, hey, you're completely wrong. And I'm completely right, you know, in, in this scenario. Maybe not all the time. You may actually have a spouse that maybe nudging now that always thinks they're right. Maybe Natalie would say that. I don't know. But that's how we get to that. We can't even think of other people's more superior in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And in the moments when we do, they're short-lived. What Paul's saying, I want you to do is, how in the world is that even possible? But Paul actually, in this, lays it out. And the answer is that everyone must be focused on the same goal, right? And what is that? Jesus Christ himself. If that is our focus and every person's focus, then we don't get to that thing. And so Paul lays out just a handful of things. He lays out a motivation, what our motivation should be for unity. Paul actually lays out the inner life of unity that should exist. And, and then Paul kind of goes practical and says, here's what it looks like. And so there's the practical application of, of unity just in these short verses. And he starts out by this motivation for unity and what should it be, right? What should that motivation for unity be? I want you to live this way because of what? Well, if you've got any of this, if you've got any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection mercy, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way and having the same love, united in one spirit, selfish on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition, or a conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look like not only to their own interests, but also the interests of others. And then here's the key, verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Paul starts, starts it out in saying, here's what you've received from Christ, and I want you to have the same attitude as Christ. And here's what you've received from Christ. You've received all these good things. All right? 
You can see you receive encouragement. You can see you receive love and consolation. You receive fellowship with the spirit of the living God. And I want you to be like him. Paul is basically, I mean, Paul is basically saying that you should want to live this way because you know the comfort that comes from being in the king's family. And you know that's what other folks need to hear and receive. You know what it is to be a child of the king, that you've gotten this, right? You've gotten this ability to be able to go to the king, to the God of all the universe, the creator of everything, and say, I have absolutely blown it. And here's honestly what I've done, as if we could be dishonest with God. Or we try, but God knows that. Here's what I've done. Would you carry this for me? And Jesus says, sure, and carries it for us. And we don't have to now, do we? What a privilege, what an honor, and what a joy to know that that, that is true. And Paul's saying, you know what it's like. You know you have this ability. You know the comfort, the joy, the peace, the unity that you have in Christ. That's going to make my joy complete by every, everybody feeling this way. Know what your motivation is. Where's your motivation? It's knowing what it is to live in the, in the comforts of the kingdom. And so in addition to that, the comfort that comes from belonging to this family, there should be a growing sense of love within the family, a love that sustains you and cheers you up from day to day, that kind of takes you through life and all the stuff that happens. And so we're in this family together, and then all of a sudden this thing that we don't deserve should prompt us to love one another. And Paul's saying, let that be the motivation. For for this small church in Philippi, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to be so united in Christ. I want you to be so focused on Christ that it does nothing but unite unite you. And James brought up that that idea this morning that it was the knowledge of the tree of the good, uh, the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and and evil that we ate from, and then everything just kind of flowed from there. We tried to be God. We tried to have knowledge of good and evil. You know, the realization came to me, even I've read that a bunch of times, and I, was, you know, I thought the same thing. At that moment, I thought, so we're talking about unity this morning. What is the one thing that keeps all of us in disunity? It's the fact that we think we know what's right and wrong, right? And so when my right is different from your right, then there's friction. Or when my wrong is different from your wrong, then there's friction. Now, let me stop and say, we know there is ultimate truth in, in Christianity. We know that there is ultimately one truth. And that's actually what Paul's driving to. He's not saying here, everybody should just be thinking whatever it is they want and just be cool with it. He's saying you need to be focused so intently on the truth and let that inform all else that you do. Let Jesus be the place you go to when it comes time to do anything else understand what he is telling you to do and do it. And if you're doing that and other people do that and you're just focused on that, then things start to get a little more unified. But the Paul also takes it a little bit further and says, think others more rightly than yourselves. Think others as more important than yourself. Think of their opinions as better than yours. Right? Whatever it is, like don't like let them be and you get to the end of that, and you're like, well, that's all I'm doing. Who's ever looking out for me? And the answer is there, right? The other people. 
if everybody is doing it, then you're looked out by however other many people there are in your community. If this was a small church in Philippi and there was 20 people there, which may be generous for that, for a house church in, in that area, but especially a new one, but let's just hypothetically say there's 20, and you're looking out for 19 other people, guess how many other people are looking out for you and thinking you're better than them? 19, right? And, and it just works in this beautiful way. And Paul's saying, hey, if we can all just focus on the sole thing, and that is Jesus. Can, they, can we be like that Cirque du Soleil? And I don't think that existed back then, so we probably didn't use that analogy. But can we all be focused on so, so intently on the final outcome, which is eternity with Christ, that you're not at all focused on anything else, and that you're putting other people more important than yourselves, that drives church unity. The inner life of unity, the inner life of unity, though, at first sight, it seems completely unattainable. It is at the center of it all. It's the basic demand that drives this, this one passage here. And he tells them to bring your thinking into line with one another. I know what some of you guys think about things. And it's totally different than. I want to just kind of stand here. It seems like if I move back, I'll get that problem. I don't want to bring my line of thinking into other people. How do we? How do I even do that? Paul goes back. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. Unity, but but here's the deal. Unity by itself is not the goal. The goal is not so that we all think one 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 thing, and that's the goal. Right? We know this because if we look through history, there have been plenty of people who all had the same thought on anything, right? There was, there was hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Rwandans who all had the same thought of killing their neighbor. That's horrendous. That wasn't gospel. That wasn't good. That wasn't Jesus. There was millions of Nazis that had one goal, of wiping out an entire race of people. That wasn't gospel. That wasn't good. Just because you have unity does not make it Jesus. Paul's saying, I want you to be unified, but I want this thing to be at the center of it, because that's what is going to make it right. The same object which they must fix their minds on must be the fact that Jesus the Messiah and the meaning that emerges from them, that, that is the clue as to what we should wrap our minds around and who we should wrap our minds on and what we should be fixated on. That's where unity should come from. So Paul is saying, I want you to bring your, your thought and your mind in sync with one another. But I want you all thinking that Jesus is at the center of the whole deal. We sing a song sometimes that says, Jesus, be the center. It's a great song. If Jesus is really the center of all we do, all argument disintegrates. It's gone. If Jesus really is at the center of our business meetings, there's no argument. If Jesus is really at the center of our churches, there's no argument. If Jesus is really at the center of our church Locally, like of all the churches, there's no disagreement. We may enjoy different worship styles, and that's okay. But there's no disagreement. But Jesus is the one thing at the center. And so the practical application of the, of the unity is Paul saying, have the same mindset as Christ. And then he goes into what most people believe to be a, a, a modern uh, um, modern-day hymn of that time, okay? Not modern-day today, but a hymn of that time that Paul basically just lays out. So it's likely 
These next verses are likely a song that was saying in the Christian community at that time. And so he's saying, here's how it practically plays itself out. If you have one mind, and that is in Jesus, and you think of other people better than yourselves, then have the same attitude with Christ. And this hymn basically speaks of Jesus doing that, of thinking, not that we were better than him. He knew that he was perfection. But he also put us above ourselves. And he said, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And then there's this little hymn. Who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. A lot of people think Paul may have this next line, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Paul lays it out practically. He kind of gives us the motivation for unity in this you want to be unified because you know what you've gotten from the Father. You know what it's like to live as a child of the King. The inner life of that is the fact that Jesus is the thing that points us all. And so if we're all living for Jesus, then it's going to bring that unity out. We're putting other people ahead of ourselves. And he's saying, but I'm not just telling you this. Have the same attitude as Christ who did these things. And remember this song we sing. Who exalted him in the form of God consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. For this reason, God exalted him. Because he was obedient to God fully, put other people above himself fully, God exalted him so that one day, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Paul encourages the church. Work out your faith in fear and trembling. This was not Paul saying, undoing everything that he said in the first five, four or five verses of unity. And now, you're all going to be dis, you know, in disunity because you're working it out differently. What Paul is saying is important. Make sure you know what you believe. Make sure you understand the truth of this. And then, but then he tells them, and even as you're working this out, who, who works it out for you? He says, work out your faith in fear and trembling, but what does he say very the very next line? Because it's God who wills and works in you for his good pleasure. When God wills and works in us, there is unity in all that we do problem comes in is when we like to take some of that back from God. I don't really want you to work in here because I like this. But I want to get a little revenge here, God. So you working this whole peace and reconciliation thing does not work for me right now. I'm going to pull this back. And when we do that, we begin to get disharmony. And Paul's encouragement to the church and our encouragement as we read this is to put all that other stuff aside and make sure that Christ is at the center of it. And if that is true, then even if we don't get our way in what in the flesh we want, 
you're getting exactly what God wants, and that is what is most important. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be attained. What did they try to attain in the Garden of Eden when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Equality with God. They wanted to know what God knew. He's saying Jesus didn't even, he had that, but he didn't consider that as something to even be attained, but he emptied himself. Became a man, served humanity, and then died on the cross because he couldn't attain it. And now we can because of Jesus. And so this morning, if that's not something, if you're listening to us, that's not something that you quite yet know or believe, I encourage you to ask God to continue to reveal it to you. I would encourage each of us take a good evaluation of where we are at in this whole spirit of unity thing within the church. Is there anything within our relationships? And say, God, where there is disunity, let me put you first. Not my opinion, not my what I want to see happen, but you. When that, we can get ourselves there. We don't have to worry about the other 19 people in that, right? We just got to worry about us. And if God and the Holy Spirit's working in the same way, then it's just this beautiful thing where everybody's considering each other more. Everybody's putting Jesus at the center. And that is a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God that people who don't yet know that Jesus is Lord need to see. It's good to read it in Scripture, but it's something that they need to see played out. So that is my prayer for, for myself this morning. That's my prayer for us as a church this morning. That's my prayer for all the churches around here because it does no good if one person, we need unity in the whole deal, in the whole thing. And so this morning we're going to pray. We're going to pray like the prayer Jesus prayed as he prayed to his Father, let them be one as you and I are one. I want that to be our prayer in all that we do. And not just here in Mosaic, but in all the churches here in Easley. There's no good if one little church is doing it. If every other church is blowing it, then it's a poor expression of the kingdom. And your unity across all churches. So let us pray for that this morning because we can't change it. Who can change it? God, through his Holy Spirit, can change it. Let's pray. God, you have blessed us beyond anything we could ever repay. You've given us more than we could ever uh, repay and more than we ever deserved. And it wasn't about deserving. God, because you loved us. Not because of anything we did, but just because of how good you are. God, would we not hold that to ourselves? Would we seek unity more than anything? God, would we seek unity with you, and would we seek unity with each other. God, we read the prayer that you prayed on our behalf thousands of years ago when you were in that humble state and dealing with humanity, and you prayed that we would be one just as you were one with the Father. God, we pray that would be true. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us places where it's not true in our lives so that you could work in us so that we could be little 
models of Jesus that we could show in our kingdom everywhere that we go. God, forgive us when we live into the lack of unity or we maybe even cause it. God, we pray that, that you would forgive us for those moments and that you would give us just a heart for you that brings all of us into unity together. We love you. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.